listening to On the Road with Mike and Andy, Australia's number one weekly podcast made for Aussie truckies by Aussie truckies, here to bring an independent voice to truckies right around Australia. On the Road is proudly brought to you by NTI, Australia's leading transport and logistics insurer. Visit the website at nti.com.au. And Queensland Rail, committed to improving safety through engineering, innovation and education. Go to www.qr.com.au. G'day, it's a big, fat, warm welcome from us to you. Thanks for joining us for episode 108 of On The Road. Once again, this week's show is bigger than big with an update on this weekend's lights on the hill at Gatton in Queensland. When we speak with Nick from Aussie band The Wolf Brothers, who'll be headlining the entertainment at the event. Mike is joined by Vice President of the National Road Freighters Association, Trevor Warner, to dissect all the trucking stuff that's currently going down. We've got our regular Something to Talk About segment, brought to you by Only Trucks and Credit One, as well as all the latest from the On The Road newsroom with thanks to Big Rigs Magazine. And keep listening, because as promised, we're bringing you the second part of our Frank Ifield interview to close the show out. Anyway, enough of the introduction already. Let's get this show on the road! Yes, get on with it! G'day, I'm Yogi from Outback Chuckers, and when I'm on the road, we're always on the road doing stuff out on the road, but when we're on the road, we're listening to the big rigs on the road. <laughs> this is Simon Smith here from the Australian Big Rig Radio Roadshow.com. Truck and radio is what we do across Australia 24-7. Loads of truck and classics every hour. If you'd like to drop us a line, love to hear from you at some stage. Our email address, bigrigradio at yahoo.com.au. Catch it down the road and take it steady out there. The Australian Big Rig Radio Roadshow.com. We've got the 2022 Lights on the Hill Trucking Memorial Convoy coming up this weekend in Gatton, Queensland. It's all about supporting and remembering members of the Australian transport industry who've lost their lives so they can be honoured and remembered forevermore. The convoy gives drivers and their families an opportunity to get together with other truckies in a social environment and it's a great opportunity too to help make the public aware that truckies are indeed the backbone of the country. This year, attendees at Lights on the Hill will be treated to some great music by one of Australia's most loved bands, the brilliant Wolf Brothers. This week we're joined by Nick from the Wolf Brothers for his thoughts on Lights on the Hill and the role that the band will be playing at this weekend's memorial festivities. Top of the morning, Nick. Thanks for joining us on the road, mate. Mate, great to be with you. We were all looking forward to coming up to Gatton to be part of this great thing. And we did it a few years ago and it was a great night. We can't wait to get back up there and play some music and be a part of it all. Yeah, well, when once is never enough. That's right. Now, mate, I could read out bits of your bio, but it would be a bit lame. So can you just tell us a bit about the history of the Wolf Brothers? Yeah, sure thing. My brother and I, Tom, have always played music together. We come from a musical family. Our dad was a drummer. Our grandfather was a saxophone player, had a thing called the Wolf Family Orchestra way back in the olden days. Wow. 
our great-grandfather played the fiddle. He had a similar thing. So we sort of come from a few generations of farming and also music. So it was pretty inevitable. We were going to pick up the old guitars. Mm. We did eventually. We slogged it out around Tassie, where we're from, for many years, playing cover band stuff, rodeos, pubs, you know, B&S balls, all that stuff. Anywhere that it have us, yeah. we were starting to write our own songs and you know, we couldn't get any attention over on the Big Island or the mainland, as we call it down here. So mm. an opportunity came along to go on Australia's Got Talent and that was back in uh, 2012. That's right, yeah. Yeah, so we're all a bit reluctant. You know, we're like, oh, we don't want to do those shows. You know, we want to make it on our own. But, you know, we had a few people in our corner that convinced us to give it a crack and uh, who knows what might come out of it. Mm. Fortunately, some fantastic things came out of it, and we ended up becoming runners-up. Through that, we got signed with our management and to our first label, and then we're still doing it 10 years later. Yeah. Sounds crazy to say that, that 10 years it's gone so fast, and uh, time flies when you're having fun and doing what you love. Absolutely, when you've come so far since then. I guess your old man, you've hit him with every drummer's joke ever. Oh, of course. Yeah. Rightly so. <laughs> <laughs> no, honestly, we've got a huge appreciation for drummers. You know, look, a band is only as good as its drummer, and you see it time and time again. We're lucky we've always had rock-solid, awesome drummers playing with us, and, uh, you know, Casey, who was originally with us, was amazing, and uh, Dave from out of Melbourne at the moment, and he's just absolute legend, fantastic player. Yeah. We're so appreciative that we've always had great drummers back in the engine room, you know? That's exactly right. It's the drummer and the bass player that's the engine room that kicks it all on. Oh, absolutely. You know, I think there's a very primal rhythmic thing in all of us humans and that drummer's bang on the money. You can't help but feel good. Yeah. Now, Nick, your latest album, Kids on Cassette, it's brilliant and what a great collection of songs and musical styles. You're quoted as saying that the album represents the last few years of your journey. What did you mean by that? I guess we always listen to a variety of stuff within the band. And when we were making Kids on Cassette, I guess we might have been listening to a little bit more poppier stuff. Mm -hmm. Definitely a lot of 80s influence as well. In that one, we, we were really obsessed with that show, Stranger Things, while we were making that one. Yep, yep. <laughs> so there's definitely a few 80s sounds and, and things and like that. But I guess in general, we probably went somewhat into the more pop rock side of things that we're into for that one. Yeah. But that's been really great to see that have a lot of success. Kids on Cassette is basically about the music that we grew up on. And in our case, at our age, that was the early 90s. Yeah. And cassettes were still a thing. You know, our first cars had cassette players. And I remember kicking around the farm with a, a boombox picking raspberries and yeah. listening to Guns N' Roses. I think that was actually, I was going to say that was my first album, but it's nothing that cool. My first album I ever bought, or well, first tape, was like a Smash Hits 91 sort of thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know. Well, that dates me, mate. The first music I had in my car was an 8-track play. <laughs> well, I never got to experience the 8-track. You didn't miss a thing, I tell you. No. <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty cool. We actually put out that record on cassette. Oh, wow. The first time we've done that. Mm. And we, we had a little deal where you could buy a Walkman. And I remember my neighbour at the time, he got one and he's only about 20 years old. And mm. he came over and he's like, so what do you do with this bloody thing? How does it work? Yeah. <laughs> but that's just unbelievable. Indeed. Mate, this weekend we roll into the Lights on the Hill Memorial Convoy and the Wolf Brothers are going to be there to do what you do so well. It's a bit of a privilege, I guess, to be invited to provide the entertainment at such an important event to the transport industry. You've touched on it before. You must be looking forward to it. 
very, very much looking forward to it and an honour to be a part of such a great thing. You know, we can identify a little bit with the truckies out there. We're on the road constantly ourselves driving around. And, yeah. You know, hats off to all you guys to what you do. It gets said a lot, but without trucks, Australia stops, and that's absolutely 100% true. Sure is. We released the cover version of the song Lights on the Hill probably about 10 years ago now, mm. and that's something that's been in the set probably every time we've played anywhere. Yeah, yeah. And it always resonates. I guess our version's a little more up-tempo than the original Slim, but, you know, we still definitely honour the lyrics and the meaning behind that song. And, yeah, look, we'll be giving that one a run at the flagpole this weekend for sure. And, yeah, just an honour to be up there and we're looking forward to, yeah, being part of it all. Brilliant. So for our listeners who'd like to learn more about the Wolf Brothers and get all the lowdown on your upcoming appearances, where can they go online to get all the information? You can find us online at all the usual spots. We've got a website, but in this day and age, the best thing is, yep. you know, the Facebook, the Instagram, and uh, God forbid the old TikTok. We get, we're getting on there, but uh, <laughs> it's a bit of a world, TikTok, but it seems to be the way it's all going now. Yeah, We've got new music coming out very, very soon. In the next couple of weeks, is going to be the first single off our new album. We're very, very excited about that. On Kids and Cassette, the last record, we went a bit pop, a bit rock, but we've headed well and truly back to the country direction on this one, and we're very, very excited about that. Yeah. I don't want to give too much away, but it's basically titled after a very common Australian phrase that we all say all the time. And it's, uh, yeah, look, it's going to be good. Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll look forward to that. Well, I've been chatting with Nick from the Wolf Brothers this morning. Unfortunately, we're out of time, or for now anyway. We must get Nick back on later and have a longer chat, but. Mate, I know you guys are flat out preparing to head off for Lights on the Hill, so thanks heaps for taking a few minutes to come out and play on the road with us. Not a worry, mate. I was going to spray some gorse today, so okay. uh, you got me out of that for a few minutes, so it's good. <laughs> good. All right. <laughs> we were going to play a different song, but now that we've talked about it, we'll close out with Lights on the Hill, your version of it. Can we get you to introduce the song for us, please? Sure can. Hey, everyone. It's Nick here from the Wolf Brothers. Very much looking forward to coming up to playing Lights on the Hill this weekend. Here's our version with Lee Kernigan, Lights on the Hill. Cheers, Nick. See you at Lights on the Hill, mate. No worries. Thanks so much. Till about the night I died In the rain and the lights on the hill were blind 
Captain, you in a dance. Too late to see the post, and I haven't got a ghost of a chance. Oh no, the windscreen wipers are beating in time. The song they're singing is a part of my mind. I can't believe this is really happening to me. But it's over the edge and down the mountainside. I know they'll tell about the night I died. Grizzly, great pleasure to welcome back to the show Trevor Warner. He's the Vice President of the National Road Freighters Association and also runs the wonderful Drivers Advocate page on Facebook. We're going to talk about a couple of things today from a traffic infringement point of view. Now, I have to say this going in, this is not legal advice, we're not lawyers, this is just stuff that we know from our experience, the best way to try and deal with some things. If you do have a traffic infringement notice and you can't deal with it yourself, I would encourage you to get hold of a lawyer if you want to fight about it. Trev, welcome back to the show, mate. How are you? G'day, Mike. Glad to be here, buddy. Yeah, doing well. I'll tell you what, mate. It's been a bit of a week. I know that the enforcement's been a little bit mental, particularly out on the Newell, and I know that they were going a little bit crazy there at Maroolan as well during the week. One of our mutual friends copped a fairly nasty blister and I've had a bit of interaction with the people that are sending me things and there's been a bit on Facebook. I know you've seen a bit. Mate, what the hell is going on? Absolutely savage, yep. That's the correct word. They're out there in force, mate. With the, the accidents that we've been having lately, the, the police see, appear to be just beside themselves with frustration and uh, they're out there making sure that we're all doing the right thing and some of them appear to be getting a little bit overzealous about it. There's always someone around that seems to enjoy their job more than others. But having said that, there are some of our colleagues that could stand a little bit of attitude modification. I think it's fair to say that everyone could probably stand a little bit of that. From the driver's point of view, I know that when we're looking down the barrel at losing half a week's pay for something silly, it's a little bit hard not to be upset about it. And obviously the police and HVR, etc. are enforcing the laws as they're promulgated. I don't know, mate. What are we going to do? Well, especially when fines that are being issued that are stealing an entire week's wage, mm. the average wage or the, the minimum award wage just in one offence. Yeah. There's no connection to road safety. Mm. It's not uh, a punishment for something you've done wrong. It's just an administrative error. Something as simple as time zones and, you know, you wrote down the wrong date. You thought today was Thursday and it was actually Friday. Yeah. The things, those sorts of things, they might only be $170 a piece, but, uh, you know, like Darren there, he forgot to sign a page and 700 bucks. Thanks for coming. No, oh, mate, it's outrageous, isn't it? 700 bucks. I mean, <laughs> that's a third of your pay gone at least. 
Yeah, that's right. That's right. You know, most of us work two full-time jobs in the one week and to have that happen just in one foul swoop, yeah, it's pretty galling. And then you've got to go and explain it to the missus and for the most of us that is, but you know, it's a double punishment, isn't it? Well, that's right. That's right. It's the, the fine intricacies of the legislation. Like Darren rung me up and he, he didn't think he'd done anything wrong. He'd, mm. He hasn't done oversights for a while and he's a bit rusty at it and his new job that he's in now, he's been doing tippers and he's loving that. And the boss just said, hey, Darren, can you run this machine up to Narrabri, I think it was. Anyway, he put the machine on, he strapped it down, made sure his load restraint was right. He put his flags in. So then he had all his flashing lights going. He thought, right, I'm off. And yeah, I've done it myself. How many times have we had the lights on parkers mm. taken off and then we don't realise that our headlights aren't on until we get into a bit of a dark spot and Darren got wheeled in and the copper said, you've only got your parkers on, son. You're supposed to have your, your low beam headlights on. 700 bucks, thank you. Yeah. It's one of those times when the policeman could have probably done a little bit of education, just said, just flick those on, mate. You need to think about that for next time. 700 bucks is probably a little bit heavy-handed. I mean... You and I, without getting too fine a detail of who Darren is and who he works for and everything, he's a mutual friend, I can't see him willfully going about doing something just to piss anyone off. It's just a mistake that's made. And, of course, then when they've done that, they've gone through his book and they've knocked him for a couple of signatures and something as well. And it's just basically gone to hell in a handbasket for him. You wonder why blokes are leaving the game. Well, you know, that's right. This copper's attitude was that high and mighty that he had to walk away. Mm. When the, the logbook issue popped up, he said, done the right thing. He said, you know, officer, I'm going on to an EWD tomorrow and mm. I'll run it on my phone. And then the officer started, oh, no, you can't run that EWD on your phone. Now, you and I know that you can and Darren knows that you can. But when you're surrounded with six coppers with weapons mm. late at night, are you going to start an argument with them? Yeah, well, issue there is that we need to sort of probably clarify a little bit. There are some electronic work diaries that do have to run on proprietary tablets, like the MT Data, for example. But there are others that are approved to run on different devices, some just on Android, some on both. You need to take care and make sure that you've got the right certificates if you're going to switch on to an EWD. But I'm starting to think, mate, I've written about it several times, you know, and I'm starting to think it's the safest way to go these days. Well, I talk to Darren on a daily basis about a great number of things and he's been a little bit sceptical about the EWD. Well, we've managed to convince him to give it a crack and, you know, day one was, this is different, this is a bit odd. Hmm. Day two, he's realised how easy it is and how it lowers the risk for the driver of, of doing it all correctly and he, he's very pleased with his choice now. It doesn't matter, you know, we've got nine devices to choose from. Some of the, the earlier versions like Teletrack and MT Data, you know, they're quite an expensive bit of kit. But now, Smart E-Driver, um, I use Logbook myself. I find it just a little bit better. You know, that's $10 a month. That's the same price as paper logbooks. Yeah. Well, it's tax deductible anyway, isn't it? So you've got to keep the log. That's right. That's right. And um, the record's there. If you need to double-check anything, it's all there. Oh, I've been pulled over before. And as soon as the police or the NHVR enforcement officers see that you've got an EWD, they just look at the compliance section. There's nothing there. Mm. No record there, so they just put their interception details and hand it back and, you know, see you later, driver. It's just so much less stress. But if you've got a paperwork diary and you don't know 100% that it's right and you're driving into, into six coppers late at night, you know, anxiety levels go through the roof. Yeah, well, on that, I had to go out through Westwild on the other night. Uh, I was going further west. And I knew what was going on at Westwild. I had to stop and throw a few hundred litres of fuel in at the IOR there. 
And while I was pulled up at the IOR, the NHVR car came around and there's a fella came around with those little boat trucks, you know, the ones that they have the caravans on them and the boats from time to time, Trev, you know those ones? Mm-hmm, little rigid. Yeah, yeah, little rigid with the trailer behind came around and he got wheeled by the NHVR fella right out the front. Now, I was going to have a shower at the IOR there, but I decided just to bloody put the fuel caps on when I was finished and leg it because even though I run an electronic work diary, even though I've got nothing to worry about work-wise, I just don't want to have the conversation. I can live without the stress, and I'm sure that there are other guys out there that feel exactly the same. Well, that's right. I feel the same as you. I just don't want the interaction whatsoever because mm. we try to keep up to speed with all the laws and everything that we've got to do. But, you know, just to, just to give one example, I'd come through Maroolan one night. I was driving an Aerodyne at the time and flashed a bit of gear, and it had white lights up on the party hat up the top. And I got wheeled in, and anyway, this guy tried to defect me, and I said, no, no, they're forward-facing lights. They can be amber or white. Yep. Oh, no, 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 no. They're extra cabin lights. They've got to be amber. Anyway, I said, well, I'm pretty sure that I'm right. But, of course, I got the defect notice, which meant that I had to then go and attend to that. And, of mm. course, Brown and Hurley just shook their head and stamped it mm. and got rid of it really quickly. But could you just imagine if that was in Victoria or South Australia? You've got a whole process then of booking it into the authorised inspection station. You've got this and you've got, I've heard horrendous stories where trucks have been grounded off duty for a month just trying to clear a stupid defect. Oh, I've heard stories where blokes have certainly lost amounts of income over it. I mean, it doesn't matter what you do. If you've got to go and waste your time to get something sorted out that's not an offence. The worst part about it is that there's no comeback on the person that's caused you the grief. You know, there's no way of, for the want of a better description, getting any level of satisfaction other than getting reamed for something that was unnecessary. The process, as I've said before, has become the punishment. It's terrible. Well, that's right. And, and like all punishments, it's the depth that varies. Yep. If you push it too hard, you can find yourself in very deep. I've heard of stories where drivers have gone to court and then they've appealed and just ended up with, you know, thirty, forty thousand dollars worth of court costs. Oh, yeah. The, the great thing about NHVR, and this is what I've supported from as soon as I got involved in all this, I thought, wouldn't it be great to have one central office where if you've got a problem with Vic Roads, South Australia Police, or not, not the police, they're a law unto their own, but defect notices out of, out of South Australia, hmm. any of the, the transport authorities are other than police. If you could go to one central place, well, now with NHVR, and you would have some mobile numbers on speed dial mm. just during the week. Well, I had a problem. I rung the number. Hey, bud, how you going? Can you sort this out for me? Yep, no worries. I'll get onto that particular police agency and I'll, I'll give them all the up-to-date information. So when they hit the road next, they're, they're fully informed, not going off half cop. Yeah. But in the old system, you'd have to find out who the bureaucrat is in TMR, who the bureaucrat is in RTA or RMS who the bureaucrat is in Vic Roads, and then find out who their supervisors are if you don't get the right information. It's just an absolute minefield. Now, you can just ring up compliance, NHVR, bang, central number. This is my problem. Can you sort it out? Yeah. Mate, there's a lot of things to do. We're going to talk about sorting out a few problems in a minute, but first we're going to slip off for a quick break, and we're going to hear from one of our sponsors. We'll be right back. There's nothing more devastating for a truck operator than to be involved in a serious road incident. We've all seen the impact of heavy vehicle accidents and at these times, when people are most vulnerable, it's critical that they have immediate support from a strong, stable, reliable and experienced organisation. 
NTI is Australia's number one truck insurer, the specialist you can count on to protect your transport and logistics assets, with the know-how to take control of the situation and the capability to reduce lost income by getting trucks back on the road again as soon as possible. Specialist products, experienced people, accredited repair and recovery networks and industry advocacy is what we do. It's our specialty and we've been doing it for more than 45 years. For more information, visit the website at nti.com.au or go to the NTI Facebook page. I'm back with Trevor Warner, uh, Vice President of the National Road Freighters Association. Mate, what are we going to do? Now, there are some things that people probably should know about. Some guys will, some guys won't. Section 10 is one of those things. During the week, I had a guy ring me up and uh, tell me that he'd been done for a Weybridge failing to go through a camera. I had a chat with another guy about the same thing on Facebook. It seems to me that the best thing you can do at the time is basically go and do a Yui, come back and go through again and go and talk to him, isn't it? Oh, 100%, 100% Mike. That's the only way to deal with it. Mm. Like if you just ignore it and keep going, you know, that's, that's going to cost you $1,200. It's worth taking an extra 30 minutes to it, even if it takes you an hour to come back around and do it all again. Mm. And if somebody is in there, and it's not just camera only, go in and, and explain the situation, and they'll likely put a note on the rego of the truck and sort it out that way. But if you just ignore it, so it's a big process to undo. Well, the, the thing about it is is it's an absolute liability offence. There's no grey there. You did it, you know, and you're on the camera going through the middle at Maroolan or 12 Mile or whatever it is, Mount White. There's no saying, oh, sorry, uh, or anything like that. There might be mitigating circumstances, though. It might be poor conditions. You might have been held up or your first time on the route or, you know, some mitigating circumstances, and you get to explain that to the guy at the time when you go back. If you don't, then there's the Section 10 way of dealing with it. So do you want to talk about that? Yeah, that was sort of my introduction into standing up for myself, I guess, as a, as a professional driver. Probably my first offence was uh, in the middle of winter. I hadn't done interstate before. I'd done a, a million miles locally mm. and did the first run to Sydney markets in the middle of winter. And those flats there past 12 mile was easy. Uh, I was getting confused between the 12 mile rest area and the Weybridge. Yep. I got whacked and I got summoned to the Curry Curry Court and I just explained to his honour the, the situation, so just told him the truth as it was and he said, yes, I'm, I'm fully aware of the problems with 12 Mile and um, he dealt with it under Section 101A, which is a section in the Crimes Act, the sentencing procedures, in order directing that the relevant charge be dismissed. Right. This particular time, I dropped the trailers at Sydney and then I bobtailed up to Curry Curry. I attended the court at the relevant time that I was told to be there and I just explained to his honour what had happened and wasn't intentional and now I know it's set up there at 12 Mile and I can assure you that it, that it won't happen again. Yep. And his honour agreed with that and he dealt with it under Section 10 of, of the Crimes Act, Sentencing Procedure, Section 101A, which is an order directing that the relevant charge be dismissed. Yeah, but as we made clear though, you can still end up with a victim of crimes levy with that as well, can't you? Yeah, you can. You can. A friend of mine, he actually got, it was a few years ago now, but he got wheeled into West Wyong again during a blitz and he walked away with six infringement notices. Mm. Well, he, he rung me in a state of panic and I said, you know, settle down or we'll work through it. And we got all the, the six infringements all dealt with in the one hearing. Mm. Once again, once we explained the situation, his honour dismissed it under Section 1A. Yeah. But he still walked away with about an eight or a $900 penalty for the victims of crime. Yeah. So that goes per offence. So if you just get one infringement, 
you'll just get hit with it once. But if you get six infringements, even though it's only one court hearing, you still could walk away with several hundred dollars or even a thousand dollars in penalties. But having said that, though, it's better than the massive fine you could have walked away with as well. Oh, for sure. That, that's right. You know, if I want to be a lawyer or whatever, it's going to cost thousands of dollars to go to university. Well, yeah. if you get $5,000 worth of fines in your driving career, well, you know, that's a pretty fair cost of tuition, really. <laughs> We're all exposed to these sort of things. You and I have had conversations like this before. We're driving around. We're driving in multiple jurisdictions. We're expected to be able to comply with the law wherever we are. And, you know, we do our best with reasonable steps and all the rest of it. I struggle to see sometimes the, the, the relevance of the size of the fines. The level of punishment sometimes seems to exceed the crime, particularly things like failing to put a cross in the BFM box on your logbook sheet. We've got to do what we can to stop that, don't we? Well, well that's right, mate. It's, it's just ridiculous. Like They're minor offences, and, and the definition of a minor offence is an offence that has no risk to public safety and no risk to public infrastructure. Yeah. Well, if there is no risk, why is there an offence? Yeah. It's just crazy. And we're the only industry that has to uh, endure that type of treatment from the law. Well, don't even start me on that, mate. When I was working as a nurse in an operating theatre, it wasn't uncommon to do a double shift or <laughs> even do 20 in a row. Can you imagine how you'd be, even if you basically do your legal hours every day, if you did 20 in a row, you'd be in more trouble than Ned Kelly, wouldn't you? Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> this accident that's happened during the week where this poor bugger's uh, whatever, I don't know the circumstances, but he's cleaned up a school bus, mm. 30 children on board. I really hope that that guy's logbook was in, in order. Yeah. And if it's not, God help him. They're going to absolutely crucify him if he's got any mistakes in his work diary. Well, we talked about that on the news last week and the comment that I did make briefly about it was that, gee, I hope they've got all their ducks in the row, the company mm. as well, because it's just going to be one of those things. The community won't tolerate it and uh, I can't blame them. Some of us have got to clean our act up and look at the best way to do things. Mate, we just want to talk quickly, I suppose, about the other things that you can do. If you want to write a letter of review or something like that, You've done that before, I know I have. I have, mate, yeah, yeah, and it's been reasonably successful. During the learning process, my, probably my first letter wasn't real good because uh, I just put forward my opinion and my version of events, but I didn't provide any, any evidence to support what I was trying to say. Mm. Now, over in Adelaide, when I, I got done at that favourite red light down Portrush Road, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure many of your listeners will be aware of that one. Uh, there's a few there. There's that one at Glen Osmond. That's it. And, you know, I come sailing through there one night and the lights changed and I, I tried to stop. I reduced my speed from 55 down to, I think it was just over 30 kilometres an hour. Mm. And anyway, they, they got me on camera, so it was a strict liability offence. So I couldn't plead not guilty. So mm. I spoke to the prosecutor and, and she said, look, I believe your story. I found a, a document that was done by Main Roads Western Australia which showed stopping distances for all the vehicles from tip trucks all the way through to quad road trains. Yeah. And I use that document to demonstrate to the court that given the particular circumstances that I did try to stop because they measured that with my speed yeah. and that given the weight I had and the, and the speed that I was traveling at, the laws of physics dictated this particular outcome. Yeah. And that outcome was I could not have complied with the direction to stop by that red light. Yeah. Now, I put all that in a letter. I sent my supporting information through and explained the laws of physics uh, but I did have to go back to court just to address the situation, mm. and that was dealt with under a Section 1A. But if I just had a said, look, I tried to stop, blah, 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 yeah. I wouldn't have got off that offence. The charges would have stuck. Yeah. 
Well, this is right. I mean, I got a, a letter from uh, Department of Transport in South Australia for camera time issue. And this is when I was running two up going across the paddock. I got a, a notice to produce the logbook forms and, and all that sort of thing, which, which we did. And they came back and they, they breached me. And I'm going, well, what the hell's going on here? I ended up writing a letter of review when I basically explained that I was too up at the time that I appealed on the grounds that there was no offence had been committed. Mm-hmm. And in the finish, I heard back from when the thing was withdrawn. The point that comes out of all this is even though it's a pain in the backside to go through and do all these things and go through and work through the administration of it, provide the documentary evidence and do all this sort of stuff, at the end of the day, what you're doing is protecting your license and you're protecting your right to go and earn your income. And we're professional drivers. Sometimes you've just got to do that. And I think that's about time that people wake up to do it. You can't do it at the last minute, though, can you? No, that's right. And that's a big mistake that a lot of drivers make. We're all busy. We're in four different states in a week and everything's chaotic and you put it off. And then, you know, two days before the date's due, you try to do something. Mm. Well, it's just too late. So as soon as you get that notice, you've got to act quickly. Yep. Put it in for a notice of review if you believe that there's mitigating circumstances. And then if that gets denied, then you need to make a decision whether you're going to defend the case or simply just pay it. But the sooner the better. The other thing too is the court systems are getting are getting that busy now. So I don't think you get a really fair hearing. Mm. So the quicker you can act on it, that gives you more time to be able to have the, the toing and froing of letter writing, let's just say. Well, I suppose the other thing really to take home about it is that we've all got the financial consideration. So if you've got a strict liability offence like running a red light, like failing to comply with direction from the Weybridge or you know, disobeying a traffic sign or something like that, then you've got to weigh up the fact that you probably run a pretty fair chance that you're going to be punished for it. Getting a lawyer for it, well, they're not going to stop you from being punished and you're going to be paying the lawyer as well. Of course, then there's the financial penalty for going to court in the first place. So if you're on trip money or you don't have any holidays or anything like that owing to you, that's another thing. It just seems to me the odds are stacked against some guys a bit, and that's unfortunate. But I think also it's important to protect your licence as much as you can. Don't you, Trev? That licence is absolutely critical. Hmm. Solicitors that I've spoken to, they've gone in to, uh, to deal with the matter, and the prosecutor has dragged stuff up from 20 years ago. Yeah. Even though they're in there for a minor offence, the prosecution is just absolutely ruthless and they'll drag information back from 20 years and say, this driver is a repeat offender. Yeah. Well, after 20 years, surely they, they wouldn't consider you a repeat offender when we're essentially doing 250,000 kilometres a year and the average motorist is only doing 20 to 25. Yeah. I don't know what it is with these prosecutors. I could only hazard a guess, but they will use any means possible to demonstrate that you're unsafe. They feel as though they're doing the work of the gods, mate. They're on the side of good. <laughs> I know there was a situation recently, it was a private meeting, but I heard a bit of information about it. Mm. The police were there, were just defending their position that we don't want to see our officers out dealing with carnage on the road. Well, mm. no one wants to do that. Mm. But by whacking a driver a $1,000 penalty for something that is administrative, mm. that's not going to prevent an accident. It's just going to push the driver even harder to try and recoup that $1,000 to make the car payment or, or pay the rates at the end of the month, that, that type of thing. It's a circular argument, isn't it? One thing leads to another, which leads to another. There's no easy way out of it. And of course, seen several drivers who have come out on particularly on big rigs in the last month or so who have said it's just all got too hard and they've thrown their hands up in the air and they're leaving. 
and we've got companies like you know McCabe's at Unidera now who are offering a five thousand dollar sign on fee. G one advertising on billboards. Mm-hmm. The driver shortage we're all talking about. Every transport company in Australia is talking about we want truck drivers put on these skilled immigrants list so that they can be uh, brought into the country. I mean, <laughs> that's it. I, I I'm not often left speechless, but the common sense of this whole thing is just ridiculous, isn't it? It is ridiculous, and they really are pushing the proverbial uphill because yeah. recently I was reviewing the 60 Minutes program, which yet much younger Mike Williams was on there, <laughs> but surely that was focused on drugs and drivers driving 22 hours straight. You know, that that's just ridiculous. They did address that issue. Yeah. But what I was really most interested in that series was there was witnesses in that audience that said, we've been talking about this for 20 years. When is the government going to do something? Yeah. Well, that was 2006. We're coming up to that 20-year period again, Yeah. and we've sorted out the drug problem for the best part of it. We've sorted out the scheduling. Mm. But they're now giving us a seven-hour break in the middle of our trip or seven hours every day where we can sleep. Yeah. But everything else that was mentioned in that show, the pressure on the drivers, the big wealthy retailers passing the responsibility on to somebody else. Drivers not taking responsibility for their own actions. Mm. Nothing's changed. No, nothing's changed. We're talking a 40-year period, which is your, your probably your entire career. Yep. Those things haven't changed. Mm. The police are just pulling out a bigger and bigger stick all the time. I mentioned this to NHVR, that to be in this industry now and not feel the pain, Mm. you need to be professional. You need to know what you can do inside that 17-hour window of the day. If somebody's pushing you to do something that's not legal, you need to push back because if something goes wrong, whether it's your fault or not, Mm. you're the one that's going to have to front the investigation to prove your innocence, whether you were at fault or not. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? Whether you're at fault or not, all it takes is someone to make a mistake in front of you and you clean them up mm-hmm. and your career could be over. Look at our good friend, Glenn Castanelli. You know, he's mining his own business and yep. some driver that was heavily affected with drugs missed the turn and missed the bend in the road and, and smashed into him, rode his truck off, and yet he was the one that was virtually handcuffed and carted away to make sure that all his ducks were in a row. Yeah, I know Glenn's story and we've talked about it. What can you say? There's nothing to say. We just need to do what we can to mitigate the circumstances. And I suppose this is not meant to be an ad for electronic work diaries by any stretch of the imagination. But as far as I can see, from the point of view where we're at now, the way the enforcement's going, it's the only sensible option. I know that there are guys out there that would be shaking their head and screaming at me now on the radio and saying, Jesus, Mick, really? But the reality of it is the times have changed and we need to do what we can to protect ourselves. And we could have a whole conversation about the amount of hours lying in the sand. And this is the way you prove for people how long it takes to do things. The other things we've got to address is the bloody trip money and the hourly rates. And the industry is in as much trouble now as I've ever seen it in. And the pressure's just getting greater and greater. And I know that I heard guys were talking on the UHF driving into West Wild on the other night while I was there getting fuel. Mate, why are we putting up with this sort of stress? It's beyond me. It is. It's a, it's a challenging thing. Now, when I first got off at a local and started doing interstate, mm. as much as I appreciate the job that I was given and the opportunity that I was given, essentially I was a market runner and an, and an overnight express runner. Yeah, I had to learn really quickly how to do that job safely and to actually get the job done. Mm. Sitting back looking at it now, I would like to think that those types of pressures aren't as great. Yeah, Sadly, I still see it happening. So drivers need to realise that the people that they're working for might not actually have the driver's best interest at heart and they need to protect themselves. 
<laughs> Mate, we could have a whole nother conversation about that. Maybe we'll try and find something positive to talk about next time, though. Well, there's plenty of positives out there. It's just uh, they're a bit few and far between at the moment. <laughs> I did a trip to Cairns this week. I've got one day off, and now I'm loading produce down to Melbourne markets or Adelaide markets when they make up their mind tomorrow. Yeah. So, you know, I still enjoy it, but I've learned to pace myself, control the anxiety, protect my backside yeah. as best I can, and enjoy it. I've been stuck in an office before, and I'll tell you what, mate, I'd rather be listening to ACDC looking at that windscreen. <laughs> you and me both, mate. I even caught myself smiling there once last week. It's terrible. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Trev, it's been great to talk to you, mate. It's time to wrap it up. I do appreciate you coming on the show and having the truck and stuff conversation with me. Take care of yourself, brother, mate. I'll see you on the road. Will do, mate. Yep, I'll try and catch up with you next week. I'll look out for you. Kermie here from Trucking with Kermie. I listen to On the Road podcast every week on the Australian Big Rigs Road Show. And when that's done, you might like to pop over to Trucking with Kermie on Facebook for my take on trucking and the people who make the industry what it is. Catch you over there, and in the meantime, take care of you. You got me there, Andy? Yeah, mate, got you go. Mate, we're coming up to that level crossing we were talking about before. Looks like we're going to be stopping. Roger that. Look at the size of that thing. They tell me they take about two k's to stop. That's like 20 times the length of the MCG. Would want to be playing chicken with that. Yeah, copy that. They can't exactly swerve either, can they? They're stuck to the tracks, mate. <laughs> it's not that hard to wait till it's safe to cross and make sure the road's clear on the other side. Yeah, not like that bloke last week who forgot about the length of his trailer. Yeah, I heard about that one. It's not really funny, though, when you think about it. Poor old train driver. Probably been having nightmares ever since. Yeah, I reckon. We're all in the same boat, really, mate. Everyone just wants to get home safe at the end of the day. Yeah, not wrong on that one. There goes the last carriage. Looks like we're safe to head off now. Thanks, Mike. Long way to go. After you, old mate. This is a message from Queensland Rail reminding us that it's important to stay alert and obey any signs and signals when approaching level crossings to help keep you and everyone else safe. For more information, go to www.qr.com.au. Pickles here. I listen to On The Road on the Australian Big Rig Roadshow. Something to talk about is brought to you by Only Trucks and Credit One. Buying your next truck has never been so easy. Go to onlytrucks.com.au. G'day, welcome to Something to Talk About. Once again, I'm leafing through Australia's Road Transport Heritage, the wonderful book that I purchased while I was over in Alice Springs, written by Liz Martin, OAM. I'd like to just open up and let's have a look at what was going on in Australia in 1900, from a transport perspective anyway. It's pretty wild. When you think back where we are now to what they were dealing with then, it's really just incredible, the changes that have been made, the strides that we've made. 1900, farm machinery maker David Shearer from Manham in South Australia exhibited his new steam-powered vehicle at Adelaide's Chamber of Manufacturers Exhibition. At the time, it was estimated that there were 1.66 million horses, 6,000 camels and 45,000 bullocks working the freight task in Australia. 
The first trip by car from Sydney to Melbourne took place. It took 10 days to complete. What are we doing in now? Like 10 hours. It's just unbelievable, isn't it? Mr. W.J. Proctor, General Manager of the Dunlop Rubber Company, became the only motorist in Australia convicted under the Steamroller and Traction Engine Act when he was charged with frightening a racehorse in his D. Dion motor car. Incredible. The Shell Tanker Turbo arrived in Port Phillip with Australia's first bulk load of kerosene. Australia had its first federal election, held in March of 1900. Edmund Barton was elected and became Australia's first Prime Minister. Australian troops were fighting in the Boer Wars in uh, South Africa and Tarrant demonstrated Australia's first fully enclosed car and that's the one that's on display in the RACV offices in Melbourne. What a time, eh? What a time to be alive. Life was a lot simpler then. But clearly the silly fines were in place even back then. Anyway, interesting stuff to talk about, interesting stuff to think about. And if you get a chance to have a look at any of these historical books or you get out to the Alice Springs Museum out there or any of the trucking museums around Australia and you find you've got something you want to share, I'd love to hear it. Mike at ontheroadpodcast.com.au. Take it easy. Stay safe on the roads. Catch you later. there Andy. Yeah got you go. You gotta love that big brekkie at the roadhouse. Oh you're not wrong it's a great feed. Hey was that Davo's truck that came in spluttering and coughing like an old tractor? Yeah mate I think it's about time we upgraded the old girl. Yeah roger that though it's a bit of a nightmare shopping for a new rig. Doesn't have to be mate. Found this place called Only Trucks. An online one-stop shop for buying and selling trucks. All the best makes and models. It's associated with Credit One. Organise the finance for you. You can deal with the sellers direct through the website. Cut out the middleman, save time and money. Sounds like the way to go. Where do I find them? Too easy, mate. Go to onlytrucks.com.au and it's all laid out there for you. You should send Davo a text and tell him to go to Only Trucks and get a new rig. Might just buy you a beer or three. Davo? He wouldn't shout if he was bit by a shark, mate. <laughs> Upgrading your truck has never been so easy. Go to onlytrucks.com.au. Line number one, you're supposed to have it all together. And when they ask how you're doing, just smile and tell them, never better. We just wanted to stop by for a moment and say, G'day, how are you? No, I mean, how are you, really? Physical and mental health is a significant issue for the Australian road transport and logistics industries. Risk factors like long hours, workplace isolation, pressure to meet deadline deliveries and the need for continual alertness all contribute to making us vulnerable to physical and mental health issues. As much as it might feel that way sometimes, you are not alone. There are some incredible people and organisations in our industry whose sole focus is on helping you to stay healthy in body, mind and spirit. All these numbers and addresses are listed on our website at ontheroadpodcast.com.au. Take care of yourselves. We really just want to see everyone get home safe and well. For all the latest industry news, go to www.bigrigs.com.au. 
today, Mike. Lights on the hill tomorrow. It's going to be a big one in Gatton. Mate, it is. And great interview with the Wolf Brothers there. That's fantastic. Great to see them out and about supporting it. Great song as well. It certainly is, yeah. yeah. It's an oldie, but it's a good treatment of an oldie. Yeah. Nick and I had a bit of a laugh about drummers' jokes along the way. He was talking about his dad being a drummer. And yeah. Drummers have always been the target for fun amongst musicians. <laughs> I thought I'd dig out a few of the better-known ones and apologise to any of our listeners who might claim to be drummers in their spare time. Right. So how can you tell, Mike, if the stage is level? <laughs> what, no one's sliding off? No, the drummer's dribbling out of both sides of his mouth equally. <laughs> Why does a drummer leave his drumsticks on the dashboard? Oh, God, I've got no idea. So he can park in disabled spots? Oh. What's the last thing a drummer will say in a band? Anything sensible? I don't... Hey, guys, how about we try one of my songs? <laughs> right. What do you call a drummer who breaks up with his girlfriend? I'm scared to even say, mate. Single? Homeless. Homeless. <laughs> <laughs> how do you get rid of the drummer that's knocking on your front door? Uh, tell him there's no one home. You give him the 10 bucks for the pizza and tell him to piss off. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, that's brutal. It is. What do you say to a drummer wearing a suit and tie? Will the defendant please rise? <laughs> <laughs> and last but definitely not least, why is a drum solo like a sneeze? Oh, I'm scared, mate, boy. You know it's coming, but there's f*** all you can do about it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear, oh, dear. Anyway, leading into the news for this week. A little bit of an underpinning story to kick us off. Senator Carol Brown has responded to NTI's 2022 National Truck Crash Accident Report, mate. Yeah, mate, uh, a bit of a press release there from Carol's office and interesting to see that she's acknowledging this and the vital information that it gives the regulators and the planners something to think about. Hmm. There's a lot more to it, though. The press release goes on to talk about the government's national heavy vehicle strategy and the heavy vehicle safety initiative funded by the NHBR and all the safety projects that have been funded as a result of that. Over 100 projects have been funded over the last several years through the NHBR for the Heavy Vehicle Safety Initiative, so it's pretty basic good, I think. Yep. They've put uh, $65 million into the uh, Safety Productivity Program. So we're just sort of skipping through the press release. But I think the thing that's most interesting to the guys on the road out there is the fact that this $80 million that was promised in the election process is going to be coming forward in the budget this October. Mm-hmm. There is a committee of drivers and, and a few other people that are going to be put together to help decide where that money goes and what it gets spent on. Right. We're looking forward to the announcement of who they are and, and just who's going to be the chair of the committee. All happening in the very, very near future, so stay tuned for that one. For sure. And look, we've got a lot going on that's very, very positive out of this current government at the moment. I said right at the start, just before the election, that I thought that the Labor government, and may the gods not strike me dead, had a better program for transport. And as I spent time talking with Glenn Stirl last week, we've got to sort of really take our hats off. They are trying to deliver. They're trying to live up to their promises, at least as far as transport goes. As I said, not really on board with some of the other things that are happening, but from a transport point of view, I'm pretty happy. Yeah, well, we all know about the plans. The proof, as you said, will be in the delivery. That's exactly right. 
Yeah, mate, following on from that story, as a result of the NHVR's Heavy Vehicle Safety Initiative, 15 industry safety projects will share in $3.5 million of funding in Round 7 of the Federal Government-supported program. That's right, and there, there's a lot of stuff in there that's very, very interesting. Hmm. Obviously, the uh, driver training programs and everything have come in for a little bit of money, the QTAs program as well. They say it's all about making Australian roads uh, safer for the driving public and for us in transport as well. Mm. And this HVSI funding, the Heavy Vehicle Safety Initiative funding, is a big thing as far as that goes. You can go to the story at bigrigs.com.au and there is a link to uh, tell you exactly what all the projects are, who's behind them, how much they're getting and what they plan to be doing. Mm. Take the time to go and have a look and acquaint yourself with what's going on. Indeed. Karina Riley from Women in Trucking Australia appeared on the Channel 7 Sunrise program, the poor thing, last weekend yep. to talk about driver shortages and the need to attract more people into the industry. She did, mate, and she drives this pretty bloody flash Peterbilt around the place. Hmm. She, she calls it salacious Pete. Okay. i really got to find out about it. I'm going to have to get Karina and, and we'll have a bit of a chat. Hmm. I think I need to find out who the hell salacious Pete is. Yeah. Sunrise reporter Tamara Bow joined her in the truck for the interview, and uh, obviously Grinner's passion shines through. She's a pretty big advocate for all this sort of stuff. She's a single working mother, so she's got a 12-year-old son, Jack, mm-hmm. and uh, he's developing a bit of a passion for big rigs too, God bless him, or maybe God help him. I don't know which to say. Yeah. She's even homeschooled him in the truck while the COVID thing was on. Mm. Funny, you know, if you look at any of the women that are successful in trucking, a lot of them are family women. Yep. I mean, Heather Jones from the Pilbara Heavy Haulage Girls. Yep. She had her kids in the truck and homeschooled the kids in the truck. Sure did. And worked and did all that sort of stuff. Hmm. So did Danielle Hay. She had kids in the truck with her. Hmm. Corinna's had the kids in the truck with her. Hmm. Corinna said that there was a certain amount of drama when she first started. People were worried about what would happen with the kids and all the rest of it. But in the finish, when she proved her worth... You've got the ability, are you available, became more the question, what are you going to do with your kids, you know? Yep. But uh, one of the things, and, and, and harking back to the earlier story about funding, women in trucking Australia have got this thing called the uh, Foot in the Door program. Yes. And that is going to be a very, very good thing, I think. Basically, what it is, is to give those ladies who want to drive a little bit of an opportunity to have a crack at the hardest time. The hardest time for anyone, even men, women, doesn't matter who you are, the hardest time for anyone is when you're trying to break in. Yep. You've and you've got your license, but you don't have a lot of experience. So I think the Put in the Door program is a good thing. Mm. A 42-year-old truckie was forced to make a dramatic five-kilometre dash for help this week after being bitten not once but twice by a snake at a remote parking bay in Queensland. Yeah, isn't this bloody incredible, mate? A snake has sort of come out and had a couple of cracks at him while he's been going around kicking the tyres, and hmm. it's just not what you expect, is it? Well, perhaps he thought he was kicking the tyres and should have gone to Specsavers. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, lucky though, hmm. he's up near Belliando Crossing, which you know, anyone that goes up that way knows that you know, you're in the middle of nowhere. Hmm. There's not a lot of phone service up there. He's been you know, stopped on the side of the road, the rest area, just short of the crossing, and he's checking his tyres, and this snake's cracked him a couple of times. He realised that it's a bit of an issue, so he's carted himself up to the Billiano Roadhouse, mm. and the staff there have called Triple O and bandaged the bites and splitted his leg to immobilise the leg, which is all the things that you do. Mm. Apparently he was a bit crook, in and out of consciousness. 
but the Queensland Health helicopter turned up and picked him up and they've taken him to... Where did they take him to? Hospital, I would expect. <laughs> <laughs> there they flew him up to Mackay Base Hospital. There you go. And they sorted him out. So pretty lucky he was discharged on the 22nd. So he spent the night in hospital. Mm. And really, when you consider what goes into that, I mean, you've got to thank the uh, chopper pilots and that to do the work up there. I don't think we give enough credit to the flying doctors and the rescue chopper pilots and all that sort of stuff. Mm. 20 years ago, that guy would have died. Yep. And just as it gets warmer, I would encourage everyone just to watch where you're putting your feet, even in the early evening, you know. Mm. As an interesting aside, I know a bloke who piled out of his truck and stood in a bloody ant's nest without realising. Oh, yeah. And got the living crap bitten out of him. Yeah. Because, you know, they've got no sense of humour. Mm, I know. Everything in Australia is trying to kill us, I think. We went out for a ride once and we all stopped on the side of the road to have a break, a quiet water. Yeah. And put my jacket and helmet on the ground and when it came time to leave, put my jacket on, put my helmet on, yeah. only to find out that my helmet was full of ants. Awesome. Yeah, all through the face and the ears, up the nose. and Yeah, lovely. Just wondering about this bloke, if he was wearing his work boots or wearing his thongs, mate. Oh, he's probably wearing the Japanese safety sandals, I'd say. The jandals, yeah. Yep, 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 yep. Has anyone inquired as to the health of the snake? <laughs> I don't know about the health of the snake. I mean, after biting a truckie. Got <laughs> <laughs> anything could have happened. He probably got a nasty disease and wasted away in the scrub. Every chance, every chance. <laughs> Mike, another one for the growing files of electric vehicle stories, with Mercedes-Benz revealing a prototype of the e-Actros long haul, a 40-tonne electric truck claimed by engineers to have a range of around 500k on a single charge. Yeah, and then what happens? You've got to recharge, I suppose. <laughs> got to plug it in. Plug the damn thing in. Mm. Look, I love Mercedes trucks, I do. I mean, I test drove a new one there a couple of years ago, and it was a beautiful thing to drive and all the rest of it. No doubt that with the amount of research power and the engineering ability that Mercedes had, they'll build the best possible electric truck they can possibly build. Mm. No doubt about it at all. And to call it a long haul because it can go 500 k's, well, that's nice. Let's see if it actually can. There was a, a story floating around the internet at the moment about an MG electric car that's supposed to be able to do a couple of hundred kilometres, but sitting at 100 kilometres there on the highway with the air conditioner on it, it does 100 kilometres and then you've got to spend an hour charging it. Yep. So God knows. I've had a bit of a look at this Mercedes-Benz thing, and, I mean, it looks like an ordinary, everyday garden-variety Actros, apart from the flash paint job and that, of course. Mm. But I don't care what you say. The buddy Janice Electric idea, where you pull the battery out and change the battery over and get going, and you can repurpose old trucks, mm. I haven't seen a better idea than that. I really haven't. Makes a lot of sense. It does. I'm going to have to get up to Berkeley Vale and, and have a chat to Lex and take one for a drive. Old Tones from Tones Trucker Stories took one for a drive there the other week. All right. Has he got back yet? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. He reckoned it was the best thing since sliced bread. So I'm going to have to have a look. I'm yeah. going to have to go and have a crack. So you'd think with trucks, and it, to me it makes sense, but I know nothing about anything. Mm. Why can't they completely cover the tops of trailers with solar panels? Mm-hmm. Because there's a good area of coverage there if you cover the whole top of the trailers with solar panels and use that to help recharge on the run. Would that not work? I've got no idea, mate. I'm, I'm not an engineer, but it doesn't sound like a bad idea, does it? Put it to Lex if you're talking to him. Yeah. If he says it's a stupid idea, it's yours, all right? Not mine. <laughs> so there's other things that I sort of ask questions about. My rudimentary knowledge of electronics. Hmm. 
we spin the generator in the engine bay to charge the battery, right? Yes. And as a kid, we used to have the little generator that you sort of flop over onto the wheel of the bike and ride along, and that would power the light while you were riding along, remember? Mm-hmm. So I don't understand why we can't have some sort of a charging device on the wheels that are turning to help charge the battery as you go along. Yep. I mean, if you've got a truck with all these wheels on it, they're not all powered, are they? No, that's right. There'd be no reason why your trailer wheels couldn't have generators built into them to charge a battery that might be mounted under the chassis rail of the trailer or something, for example. Would all make sense. Or you could load a dozen or so of those wind turbines on the roof and just watch out for the low bridges. <laughs> you could have them whizzing around madly while you're driving along. Just <laughs> We used to have them on our bikes too, remember? The little whiz gig things you'd stick in your handlebars? That's right, and the cards that went on the bloody spokes as you go. Oh, yeah, those were the days. We're showing our age now, mate, the sort of crap we used to do for fun. There you go. Well, mate, thought for the week, tying in nicely with this weekend's Light on the Hill Memorial event, here's this week's thought for the week. Okay. Heroism doesn't always happen in a burst of glory. Sometimes small triumphs and large hearts can change the course of history. Okay. Deep? It is. It's very deep. I'll leave you with that one to ponder on. I'm pondering already, mate. I don't know where to go with that. I really don't. Good. All right. We'll just leave it there then. <laughs> Thank you. See ya. See ya. On the Road News is brought to you by Big Rigs, Australia's national road transport newspaper. Good day, everyone. This is Gordon, your favourite Canadian refugee trucker living in America, where, whilst hauling logs around the far northern reaches of Appalachia, I enjoy the On The Road podcast with Mike and Andy. Keep it up with the news and history and everything that's good about trucking and the land down under. What a great show. Thanks a bunch. But I believe that sometimes losers win. Yesterday just passed my way. This week we continue our chat with the legendary Mr. Frank Ifield. We've got more of his wonderful music to play, so enjoy this part two of our conversation with Frank Ifield. Again. I don't know whether you actually know this too, but the Beatles did a live performance of my song. I remember you. Did you know that? I heard that, yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, later on, I returned to the USA. The manager of the company informed me that along with my uh, records, he bought a job lot, which also included the Beatles records, he said. Oh, goodness me. And because now he was very much aware that in the UK, their success was really high because they were getting so much publicity. And he wanted to use my success in America to float this new group on the whole team. And now this one was originally first issued by the name of Johnny Watt. I don't know whether you knew that. I did see that, yeah. And it featured four Beatles songs an eight of mine. <laughs> <laughs> and, and on the front cover it said, live on the stage. There was nothing live about it at all. And when you read the leaf notes at the back, this is typically American. We hope you like this copulation. <laughs> I'd never copulated with the Beatles. <laughs> oh, that's classic. <laughs> Such a close word, but a long way apart as well, aren't they? <laughs> So that was my association with the Beatles. 
I really look back here. Yeah, I really enjoyed all that time, you know. It's good fun. And you can imagine how delighted you would have been that a little band like the Beatles would try and use your name. Yes. Well, looking back, of course, you yeah. know, hindsight is, is a wonderful thing, isn't it? <laughs> Frank, as someone who's always been impeccably dressed and yes. beautifully presented, it's interesting to note that you have had a long love affair with such, dare I say, down and dirty escapades as stock car racing and hot air ballooning. I'm assuming you don't do as much of that these days. Hardly. <laughs> <laughs> I did the stock car racing that was all done in Australia. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and when I got over to Britain, I wasn't doing any stock car racing, but it was one of those things I looked up. I could see these hot air balloons pretty close to where I lived, you said. Right. So I got into hot air ballooning. All these things were the crazy, hazy days of my wild, impetuous youth. <laughs> yeah. Well, I took a few bumps and bruises and broken bones to knock some sense into me. Especially when I was doing a pantomime uh, playing Sinbad the Sailor. With my left arm in a sling. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've had a sword fight with this arch villain. And I'll tell you, I look back at that and I think, what a mad thing I was going hot air ballooning. <laughs> <laughs> it was very funny because I used to enjoy going up with, in the hot air ballooning, guys, you know, because you could look down below you and nobody knew you were up there because it was very silent. And I, I used to go out with these paddocks and things and fields. And you see people who are, you know, lovers in the side, and I'd let out a yodel, and they'd go mad and hide themselves in the forest, wondering where it was coming from, this yodel. Incredible. Good fun. Frank, word has it that you're going to be honoured with a bronze bust in the Legends of Country Music Row in Bicentennial Park in Tamworth, alongside a lot of other country music greats. What a wonderful tribute to you and your magnificent career. You must be really quite tickled about that. Yes, I am. I hope I'm not going to get arrested for this because I'm going to expose my bus (laughs) in January of next year (laughs) in the middle of the park. Wonderful. (laughs) Yeah. A long time ago, back in 1964, I think it was, when I was at the Palladium, I had a bus made for me there, a bronze bus. And my mum was over with me at the time, and she liked it, so I gave it to her to bring back to Australia. And she was stopped at the customs, and they said, what have you got in your bag? And she said, my son's head. (laughs) (laughs) Can you imagine? (laughs) (laughs) So there we are. So (laughs) the son's head's not going to be in Tamworth. Gets about that head. <laughs> Something to look forward to, indeed. Yeah. Now, Frank, in April this year, you performed the role of ambassador for the New South Wales Seniors Expo held at the convention centre down in Darling Harbour. What else of similar nature do you have planned for the future? Well, I was out touring last year, as I say, over in May and June in England. Mm. And while I was there, I, I was honoured to be inducted into the, the Grand Order of the Water Rats. I don't know if you've ever heard of them, have you? Oh, can't say I have, no. Well, rats back to front is stars, you see. It's an industry thing. Okay. And it was lovely that, you know. But I enjoy myself so much now. I'm currently in the middle of planning a new production to, for, for next year. Oh, good. Starting the production here, and we're going to be doing shows round in November time. I know we've got some dates down in Victoria, and I've certainly got some dates up the Central Coast here. Right. So I haven't actually got all the actual dates yet. So we'll be doing the new production that I'm going to take the following year back to Britain. Oh, good. So it's all working beautifully for me. I'm really enjoying doing it. 
I get such a kick, you know, out of. You know, I don't do as much touring now as I used to, which is nice. Mm. You know, I'm having a bit of a break now since the last time and starting again, you know. Well, you're probably entitled to that, Frank. But um, it makes it easy because I've got time to really enjoy the time off as well as you know, getting out there and doing it. Yeah. And I love going on stage. I really do. Yes. Yeah. Once it's in your system, it's hard to get it out. Yeah. Well, Frank, right now we lead into a little thing that we call My Life in One Sentence. And we have a few little questions. So just to get to know you a little bit better, are you up for that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> one sentence, I don't know. I'm a bit longer <laughs> than one sentence as a rule. <laughs> we'll see how we go with it. Go for it. First up, what do you attribute to being the secret to the longevity of your career in the music industry? Longevity. I don't know much about longevity. <laughs> Um, I'll tell you when I get there. <laughs> okay. Um, no, I suppose the answer really must be I still be stimulated uh, with my passion and desire to entertain. Yeah. And I just love to get up there on stage and have the audience you know, enjoying it. You know, it gives me such a kick. Yeah. And that's, I reckon, keeps me young. The secret to success, yeah. Now, who would you say was the, the one person who inspired you the most in the early stages of your career? My love for music is so wide when I think about it that there were so many early influences. Mm. But I suppose the standouts uh, just off the top of my head would be, um, first of all, the country singer Hank Snow. Um, and the other guy would be the great Nat King Cole. He was a great lyricist. He just knew how to play with the words. You understood every word he was singing. Yes. Wonderful. Yeah. Lovely voice too. Incredible. And Frank, for you, what's been the highlight of your career and has there ever been a low point for you? Yeah, there's been no points. But I don't think I really have the um, right to dwell upon my lows because there's been so many highs in my life. Yet the highest points, I suppose, when you think about it, would be all the shows that did the Palladium. And I might add that there were many other shows too that I've done that uh, you know, stick out. The Grand Ole Opry, for instance, was one. Oh, I'm sure, yeah. yeah. Playing the Grand Ole Opry was a joy because I didn't even know I was going to be doing it. <laughs> I knew the day before. <laughs> wow. What a pleasant surprise. Uh, and uh, who should introduce me on but Hank Snow. <laughs> oh, wow. So, I mean, yeah, it was uh, just a, a wonderful day. That's a fairy tale come true, yeah. Oh, yeah. Now, Frank, if you could do it all again, would you do anything differently? No, just simply follow my instincts. <laughs> I've always done that and it's always worked. So that's all I would do. Okay. Now, I was going to ask you your favourite style of music and your favourite band or artist, but I, I think I might answer that for you and then you can tell me if I'm wrong. Your favourite style of music would be country music and your favourite artist, Hank Snow. Not necessarily. Okay. I'd like to answer that by saying, you know, when you say style of music, music was music in those days. It's only in the, the latter part of the years that people have now put everything into genres of music. Yeah. But we used to listen to music, and I just love music of all kinds. So my favorite music would be non-repetitive tunes and lyrics that are meaningful and sung with heart and clarity. Yes, yes. My favourite band, um, I guess, would be The Shadows. I love The Shadows music. Beautiful. When you listen to The Shadows music, you just listen and you draw your own pictures in your head with what they play. You can indeed. They've managed to sort of paint pictures with it, you know. There's nobody like Hank on the guitar. He just was unreal. Beautiful sound. Did you ever get to play with The Shadows at all? 
Oh, yes, many times. In fact, my manager ended up uh, managing the shadows. Okay. And uh, they were the first one, apart from myself, that my manager had taken on. And because when they got their first hit, which was Apache, I had my small hit called Lucky Devil. Right. And because uh, we did lots of shows together, including Pantomime. The first pantomime I ever did was Dick Whittington. Mm. And then, of course, I did a long tour with the Shadows, and that sort of got me started because it got me up there because the Shadows were huge, and they were just packing the places everywhere. had nothing to do with me, (laughs) but I was having the ride of my life. Were you the person responsible for convincing Hank to move to Australia? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know about that, do you? He came to see me. He wanted his mother to know what Australia was like. Mm. And so he brought his mum over to see me, and I explained to her what it was like. And they were talking about wanting to move to Perth. Mm. And because I explained to her the Perth is the most beautiful city, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so it worked. I mean, he, he did bring his mum with him, and she was very comfortable out of it. And fortunately, everything I told her was right. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> Good. Yeah. So she came out, and they were very happy. And Hank still lives in Perth. Yeah, it's wonderful. Yeah, oh, it is indeed. So, what would be your favourite food, Frank? Food. <laughs> now you're talking. <laughs> <laughs> I love spicy food. So Indian curries or Thai. I'm really into Thai at the moment. Okay. Yeah, I've got a little restaurant down the road here, and I go quite regularly to that. <laughs> I just, that's what I enjoy a lot. Well, if you're ever in Brisbane, give me a call because I play every Friday night at an Indian restaurant up here. Oh, really? Oh, that should be interesting. Oh, the best food of all too. So I'll, I'll hook you up with a good table. Yeah, that sounds great. I love that. Now, Frank, your favourite place to travel to? Well, if you're anything like me and you're constantly on the road, it ends up there's no place like home. Yeah. <laughs> and it's so true because I, I did so much travelling in my life. All the travelling I did, I never got to see really much of the place because you'd land at an airport, you'd go straight to the hotel, and you'd see the inside of the theatre, you'd do your rehearsal, and you move on to the next town. Mm. So you don't really get to see much, and it's nice to have that little break where you can meet the people and perhaps go out and have a barbecue and things like that, and the normal things, you know? Absolutely. So I've always enjoyed, if I had to pick one place that I'd like, you know, I, I, I like and always enjoy, it would be Nashville. Right. I love going to Nashville, not just for the music either, you know, it's because the people are so natural, nice, and yeah, I love to be there. Yeah. Okay, now this one might be tricky. If you could be anyone else other than Frank Ifield, who would you want to be? I've got no problems in dealing with myself. <laughs> so no, I, I, wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't want to tackle being in anybody else's shoes. <laughs> I wasn't encouraging you to do so. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I'd want to be anything else other than what I've done and I'd probably do exactly the same thing. All mistakes and all. <laughs> Yeah, that's exactly right. Well, speaking of encouragement, how would you, as, as our very last question for you today, how would you encourage other Australians enjoying their senior years to remain as positive and active as you are? Uh, do you know what I think is very important? I think it's very important to seek company of people. And conversation, you see, really helps your brain. Mm. And while your brain's active, then you, the only result is your brain feels you are. And in my head, if I don't look in the mirror, I'm better off. (laughs) But in my head, I'm I'm still sort of like a teenager. Having conversation with people is very, very important. 
and get to bed early. That's the other thing. Right. I know I'm on the road a lot and what have you, but when I'm not, I get to bed about 10 o'clock at night and I get up at the sound of the kookaburras because I'm very fortunate. I live out in the country here. And I get up the sound of kookaburras and I just love that sound. It makes me smile when I open the curtains. And then I go for a walk every day. I love meeting people because I want to share the joy of just simply being alive, you know. Mm. And I want to share that with the world around me. And to me, that is the joy of life. Just people. People are very important to me. I don't know whether they are to anybody else, but to me, I just love people. I just love talking to people, mixing with people, even just to say good morning. Yeah. yeah. Beautiful words and very good advice. Folks, our special guest this week has been the absolute legend, Frank Ifield. It's just been wonderful to catch up with you, Frank, and really appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule to come and have a chat with us. It's been a delight. It's been a pleasure, my friend. Thanks again, Frank. Thank you, Andy. Take good care of yourself. I can't believe your lips are touching mine After all the hurt all this time But I believe that sometimes losers win Yesterday just passed my way again I should have known the tears I made you cry would never mean we'd really say goodbye tonight sweetheart we're back where we began Yesterday just passed my way again They say you can't turn back the hands of time But tonight I'm holding the hands that once were mine Yesterday just passed my way again. Well, that's the show for another week. Thanks for coming along for the ride. On the Road is proudly brought to you by NTI, Australia's leading transport and logistics insurer. Visit the website at nti.com.au. And Queensland Rail, committed to improving safety through engineering, innovation and education. For more information, go to www.qr.com.au. Be sure to join us again next week when Mike says... Andy, for God's sake, save me. Our guest says... Sometimes his brain just stops working, you know. And Andy says... Oh, tell me about it. Until then, play nice with each other and most of all, stay safe out there. Bye for now. 
The team here at On The Road believe in the right to free speech, and whilst we might not always be in agreement with the views of our guests and contributors, we support their right to hold and express those opinions. Yesterday just passed my way again Yesterday just passed my way again 